so we come to our reading, second reading, and this is continuing our studies in Philippians, and we read from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 10 to 14. And Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Amen. In my last church there was someone who had a near-death experience after he had a heart attack. Said it changed him. Said he wasn't afraid of dying anymore. Totally altered his perspective on life and death. For the Apostle Paul, his whole perspective on life and death was turned upside down by his encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was for him, if you like, the opposite of a near-death experience. It wasn't that he stood on the threshold of death and caught a glimpse of what lies beyond. It was the risen Lord, resurrected from the dead, who broke through the barriers that separate us from eternity and appeared in a resurrection glory so intense it blinded Saul, as he was known then, for a period of three days. It's doubtful whether his sight ever fully recovered from that encounter, but the real lasting change happened inside the man. He had been completely intent on wiping out the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, convinced they were some kind of heretical sect. But then the risen Jesus appears to him in glory, and he realises he's been completely in the wrong. In that moment of encounter, he had a sense of Jesus taking hold of his life. And from that time on, nothing could ever be the same again. His life was forfeit to the glorious Lord who appeared to him on the Damascus Road. From that moment on, it was his goal to serve and know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The words, Jesus is Lord, were not just some kind of creedal mantra that Paul could recite. They summed up the whole purpose and orientation of his life. He knew that he had received a heavenly calling, one that imbued the rest of his life down here with eternal significance. As a Pharisee, Saul would have believed in the future resurrection of the dead. It was a fundamental part of their worldview. What was significant about that encounter with Jesus was that Paul met someone who'd risen from the dead already. And Jesus was the key to resurrection. That's why Saul's experience wasn't just one of surviving an encounter with death. It was a matter of being transformed by an encounter with the reality of resurrection life. 
In his meeting with Jesus, Paul had experienced the ultimate reality, compared to which everything else he knew and lived by and treasured in this life paled into insignificance. He says, actually, he regarded it all as complete refuse, absolute rubbish, worthless, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. That was a unique encounter he had, and none of us will have had the same kind of vivid meeting with the risen Christ. But we may catch a glimpse of what Saul experienced in worship, which has been described as a place where life meets ultimate reality, a place where we sense eternal significance and realise that we were created to live our lives to the full in the presence of the God who loves us more than we could ever imagine. That's on Christ's heart for us all. And we come closer to it when we engage in worship. Worship changes our lives when it's focused on Christ, the Lord of life. But because in Christ Paul encountered this ultimate reality, that was now what he lived for. For him, the reality of eternal resurrection in life was so vivid and so powerful and so strong, he could say that the whole focus of his life was straining ahead, pressing onwards towards the goal to win the prize for which God had called him heavenwards in Christ. There was no lingering or clinging on to this life. He knew where he was going and he was running towards the light. Not that that meant he saw his life here and now as having no meaning or value or purpose. Everything he did had a real sense of eternal significance. It was all about serving the one who'd taken hold of his life and turned it all around so that when the moment came that he should meet Christ again face to face, he would be able to give a good account of how he had spent the time he had how he'd made the most of every opportunity to make Jesus known to others. That was his calling and his commission. And for Paul, at the time of writing this letter, this prospect of meeting Christ again face to face was very real and possibly very imminent. He was in prison and knew that there was every chance that he would only leave confinement in order to be executed. Humanly speaking, he had very little to look forward to. The possibility of release was uncertain. The prospect of execution, likely. And yet, despite that, Paul can still say he is looking forwards with eager expectation. This was no time for looking back, for a quiet reflection of his life, for writing his memoirs and recreating his past for the benefit of future readers of his book. The past has no hold on him. He's ready to forget everything that has been before, so eager is he to press on ahead and reach what lies ahead. Faced with the prospect of death, Paul runs full tilt at it. Knowing that even if his life is to end at the executioner's sword very soon, That, for him, will be a matter of being identified with Christ in his sufferings, in the sure and certain expectation that he will also be united with Christ in his resurrection from the dead. I have to say that as I read that, as I think about that, 
Saul's whole approach to life and death, I find that immensely challenging. And I'm sure I'm not the only one here. There's a story told about Cuthbert Bardsley, Bishop of Coventry, who on going to visit someone in their deathbed and finding the house shrouded and everybody in mourning, entered the room with the words, I hear you're going to die. How absolutely wonderful for you. I think that has to score zero points for pastoral sensitivity. (laughs) But it does convey an immense assurance about the life that is to come. The story is told and retold, at least no doubt in part, because such an attitude is unusual. There's something deeply rooted within us that wants to cling on to this life. But Paul knew the greater force of having been grasped by the risen Lord Jesus, with a grip far stronger than he himself could exert to hold on to anything down here. And it was because, he's, because he knew himself being lifted up towards eternal life in a loving grasp that would never let him go, that Paul was willing to relinquish his hold on everything else down here that gave him temporal security. He let that go so that he could hold on to Christ as he himself was held. Knowing he couldn't take any of it with him anyway, he was fully prepared to concentrate 100% on using what time he had left to live for Christ. And writing to the Philippians was part of that. When it came to facing death, he wasn't just ready. He was eager. But he was eager because he knew he'd met the one who had risen from the dead, conquered the grave, and he knew that his life and his eternal destiny were in the hands of Christ. That was his assurance, his security, and his hope. But for all Paul's talk of forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what lies ahead, today has been a day for stopping and looking back not particularly over our own lives, but looking back to those who faced death and did not survive in the service of their country, whether that be this country or another nation. People carried out their orders in disregard of their own lives. For those in the services who went forward to engage the enemy, there could be no looking back, just a moving forward to face whatever awaited them. Some of them will have had a faith to sustain them in the face of what lay ahead. Some will not. But they got out of trenches, they put out to sea, they took off in aeroplanes to do what they had to do. It's right that we take the time to look back and remember them. And as we do so, we think of the many people who have lost their lives in armed conflict around the world. And inevitably as well, thoughts surface in our minds of those whom we have loved and lost personally for a host of other reasons as well. It's a sombre day to pause and remember. We don't want to forget what lies behind when we think of others who've laid down their lives for us, who have been lost for us. Yet in the case of those who had a faith, we can look forwards as well as looking back. Because as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. For those who, as far as we know, are not Christians, we can do no more than entrust them into the hands of an infinite, merciful God 
who has loved them from eternity and who is righteous in his judgments. But for those who we know had given their lives to Christ, we can have complete confidence that he has brought them safely through death and that they share his risen life. And we have that assurance. And so while we have spent time today looking back and mourning those whom we've lost, as we have our own faith in Christ, there is a sense in which we can look forward as well to being reunited with them in the presence of our risen Lord and Saviour, who's conquered death for us, and who has the last word about the outcome, finally, of our lives. Today we've paused to think a lot about death and suffering and loss. Some of us will do so again this afternoon. Remembrance Sunday is the right time to do these things. But alongside our sorrow, let's hold on to the hope that is given us in Christ. Remember, he has taken hold of your life. And he will never let you go. Keep that knowledge in your heart. So that when the time comes, as it surely must to us all, to leave this life behind and relinquish our hold on everything we've ever known, we might know ourselves held firmly in his grasp. So that as we let go of this life with one hand, we reach out in confident (coughs) expectation to what we cannot now see, but which is nevertheless the ultimate reality of the prize for which God has called you heavenwards in Christ Jesus. We hold on to nothing here, but we belong to the one who's taken hold of our lives and who never lets us go. That is our confidence now and our security for eternity.